Good morning, everyone. Good morning. In Psalm 38 and the first part of Psalm 39 last week uh, is where we were. And so we'll pick up in the latter part of Psalm 39 today. I started last week by talking about the potential benefits uh, when you're at the bottom. And I gave the example of a professional golfer, Lucas Glover, uh, originally from Greenville, South Carolina, graduate of Clemson. And uh, in spite of all of his wonderful play, uh, he was not scoring well at all. In 2021 and 2022, uh, he made two top 10 finishes. That was as good as it got. Uh, Six or eight weeks ago, he felt so bad, he uh, started to experimenting with all sorts of things, decided to uh, change putters because um, nothing else was working. Uh, Totally started from scratch. He didn't get professionally fitted for the club like most pros would. He saw another pro who was using that putter and just called the manufacturer. So I, I want, I want that guy's putter. Just send it to me. He said he played around his garage for a while and just tried to figure it out. And about he had the weekend off because he had not qualified for this one particular big tournament. The next two tournaments he won. Uh, the first golfer over forty to win two back-to-back tournaments. Uh, I think since maybe, I think maybe Tiger Woods did it at, uh, right around the time he turned 40. Um, he found some clarity, to use his word, at the bottom to help him figure out something new, to see something new. And as we looked in our study, I suggested that being at the bottom might give you some potential benefits. I said, it might force you to take stock of your situation to answer the question, where am I? It might force you to evaluate what might have gotten you there by either answering, what have I done to get here? Or perhaps what has been done to me to get me here? It would help you to see who your true friends are to answer the question, who is for me? And it might also bring some clarity in seeing who your adversaries are and saying who is against me. I said it would force you to grapple with your relationship with God and ultimately look at who is it that can really help me. And then as we launched into chapter 39, verses 1 through 4, I said might answer the question, what do I do next? As David was trying to say, you know, this looks like a situation I need to keep my mouth shut. And he just was trying to do that. And then he ultimately he couldn't do it. That didn't work out well either. And then in verses 5 through 8, he started to really, I guess 4 through 8, he started to really reflect on where he was in life. And picking up there, he said, O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and doesn't know who will gather. This reflection on the brevity of life, uh, ultimately, I said, might 
raise the question, what am I waiting for? And that leads directly to verse 7, where he says, in essence, that very thing. He says, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? And then we start to see this little bit of clarity start to come in. He says, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. And then as we saw that most of Psalm 38 and some of Psalm 39 said this was David having received the knowledge that some of his trouble was because of his own doing, because of his own sin, his own transgressions. He says in verse 8, deliver me from all my transgressions. Here we have this bit of repentance. Now that he has reflected on the brevity of life, where his hope really is, and that his hope is in God, then he needs to reestablish that relationship with God and says, deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of a fool. Says, I am mute. I do not even open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. At the first part of the chapter, he's trying to keep his mouth shut because he thinks that's the right thing to do in that situation, and then he couldn't even do it. And now here... He says, I can't say anything, and it's because God has brought him to that point where he needs to just hush and look toward God for his help. Goes on, he says, remove your stroke from me. I'm spent by the hostility of your hand. Basically, what am I waiting for? Deliver me, forgive me, I'm done, you win. Being at the bottom brings that clarity and ultimately says, you know, my hope is in God. He is in charge. Verse 11, when you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is mere breath. If he is a God that can discipline us so appropriately, so... um, completely so properly then he's probably also the God that I need to turn to for help verse 12 hear my prayer O Lord and give ear to my cry hold not your peace at my tears for I am a sojourner with you a guest like all my fathers look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more in other words he's reflecting on the end of his life and say you know what just Just give me some peace before I go, is what he's saying. But this interesting phrase, for I'm a sojourner with you, a guest like all of my fathers. This actually is a somewhat of a quote, or at least a reference, back to Leviticus. In Leviticus 25, that chapter, it speaks of the concept of the year of Jubilee. You've heard this concept where uh, after 49 years, the whole nature of property and possessions changed so that in the 50th year, uh, if, say, someone had to sell the family land to get out of debt, he had fallen on hard times perhaps, in the year of Jubilee, that land goes back to the original owners. If you had to sell yourself to someone uh, to pay off a debt in that 50th year, the year of Jubilee, Everything was set aright. The debts were forgiven. The sins were taken care of. 
the concept is even the land you think you own, you don't own it. The verse in Leviticus 25, verses 23 and 24 says, The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. You are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. In other words, God's saying, this is my land. You're just passing through. And I think if we maybe started to look at all of our possessions as things that we hold on very loosely, then we'll have this little revelation that David has. He says, for I'm a sojourner with you, a guest like all of my fathers. He's starting to realize you know, I'm not in charge as much as I thought I was. And he's the king saying this, right? So if he came to that realization, so much more should we. This feeling of seeing where I am at the bottom, trying to understand what got me here, trying to reflect on uh, uh, what I need to do about it, Uh, who I need to look to for my hope, leads us straight into chapter 40, or Psalm 40, where he is now able to look back and see how God has come through for him in those times that weren't good. Verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. I don't recall a lot of psalms, I'm sorry, I don't recall a lot of songs, popular songs, being drawn from Psalm 38 and 39. Uh, But just these first four verses of Psalm 40, I'm sure you can think of songs that use bits and pieces of of many of these verses. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined his ear to me and heard my cry. Uh, we we know about, uh, you know, he, he took me out of the miry clay and uh, he put a new song in my mouth. All of those things, uh, you can just see he is reflecting on how God has come through for him. And it says, he gave me a new song in my mouth. This is verse three, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So when God comes through for you, it provokes you to praise. And that praise is for God, but it also draws others to him when they see all the wonderful things that he's done for you. So as we think, and I'm going to want you to talk about later, as I said Uh, what are the ways where God has maybe taught you a few things at the bottom and how uh, what praises are those that that we need to hear about that so so get your get your comments ready 
We are blessed if we see that the Lord is our rescue. Verse 4, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Um, there are, I, I think there is a huge recognition across the Western world at least, that we're not where we want to be. Because all of marketing, all of Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, are full of people who want to highlight how far you are from where you want to be and how their thing will make you there will get you there, right? Uh, so many things, so many, you know, whether it's a new workout or a new diet or, or maybe I'm just the one that gets those. But <laughs> because they are targeted. Um, if I just do that thing, then that's going to get me where I need to be. There aren't nearly as many bookstores as there once were, but even those that are still standing, probably their largest section is self-help, which is ironic because if you could help yourself, you wouldn't need their books. But we all notice that there's, you know, we fantasize about how things would be if we were here, and then we see where we're not there, and we think about what's gonna take to fill that gap and it says, we turn to other things. We go astray after a lie because ultimately it's only the man who makes the Lord his trust that is ever really going to get there, right? Paul says, you know, I was shipwrecked all these times. I was stoned and left for dead. I was... Uh, bitten by serpents. I was, you know, all these hardships, which most people in Christian circles nowadays would say he was clearly outside the will of God, because if you're inside the will of God, things are going to go right for you, and if you're outside the will of God, things are going to go bad for you. That's how we would look at that, right? Um, but he would say, you know, I'm content. So contentment for Paul was not based on his circumstances or his bank account or anything else, but it was just based on God. So verse 4, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Everything else is going to fall short. And I will say, I have found myself many times as I've talked with patients lately, I've said something along the lines of, you know, when I started practice 30 years ago, I kind of thought we would know more about X than we do. I thought we would have had it figured out by now. I thought we would have understood better. I thought we would have better medicines and so forth. And certainly there are many parts of my world where that is true, but but there are so many places where we're not there yet. And then it does make me reflect that for many of these situations, I would probably be better off sharing with them some Bible things 
as opposed to some medical things. And, and sometimes uh, the things I say here, I do get to test out on, on patients who um, can't run away. Uh, <laughs> verse, let's see, where were we? Uh, verse six. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required, then I said, Behold, I've come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I will delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. Verse 6, in sacrifice and offering you've not delighted. This is interesting because in the books of the law, we have teaching that says, you know, bring your sacrifices. This is, you know, the Lord delights in those things, right? Uh, the story of Cain and Abel, we said, you know, well, Abel's sacrifice was was um, approved by God. Uh, you know, he approved of that. He he enjoyed that. So, the point that this is making is, it's as it says in verse eight, "Your law is in my heart." If that sacrifice is being brought from a place where your heart is right, that's really the most important, right? Your heart is always going to be. Uh, the most important, not just your behavior, right? There was a book years ago, uh, a parenting book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And the point was, you don't want your child's behavior because they're good enough just to do good behavior if they're in front of you. You know, if you're just focusing on good behavior, that just lasts within the proximity of, you know, them seeing you. But if you have their heart, then they're going to be thinking about that all the time, way more effective. God wants our heart, and yes, our sacrifice as a demonstration of where our heart was, um, but a sacrifice given with a pure heart accomplishes nothing. That's that's the idea here. Uh, one commentator pointed out that in Hebrew, verse 6 says, And sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have dug me an ear. So next time I'm cleaning out someone's ears, I'm going to think about that verse. <laughs> sometimes we need to have our ears opened. I do get to open ears sometimes. Uh, and it's oddly satisfying. <laughs> Verse 9, I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. I've not restrained my lips. I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the congregation. Again, when God comes through for us as he did for David, as, he's, as David's reflecting on that, the natural response is to tell somebody to praise him for it, to give God the glory that he deserves. And that's what all of this is about. When God delivers, the natural response is praise. Verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. 
Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond my number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. So he's reflected on all the things that God has been doing for him. That's the whole first section of Psalm 40. Beautiful. Excellent. Um, Praiseworthy is a God that is for us, that comes through for us, who wants nothing more than our heart before our sacrifice. But here we are in verse 13. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Why is it that we need delivering over and over again? There are um, there are cycles of our day, right? Um, we're told our your mercies are new every morning, right? God gives us that day, gives us that sleep, He gives us that start to a new day. There's the cycle of a week, right? Based on creation, there were cycles of the year with feasts and so forth. It's Perhaps human nature to forget. I don't know what length of time it is that we move from when God has worked mightily in our lives until we start to forget. Thankfully, something bad is always around the corner. (laughs) Yet another opportunity to turn to God and to ask, as he does in verse 13... By the way, Lord, here I am again. Please deliver me. Lee Thomas, who started Barney Family Practice along with Jim and, and Roy, um, I think it was 76, I think. Um, a lot of things Lee told me I have forgotten. Um, one thing Lee told me I did remember, he said, you know, Art, you're never more than three weeks from a crisis. Not the most optimistic thing he could have said, but, but it's probably true, right? You're never, you're never more than three weeks from a crisis. I don't know if he heard that or if he just observed that, but I think it, there is a, an element of truth to that. There, no matter what we've been through, um, until glory, there's always going to be something else. I quoted the late Gilda Radner uh, to Anna the other day, who uh, she of Saturday Night Live fame back in the day said, uh, the trouble with life is that it's so daily. <laughs> and and yeah, we know that. Um, there are always going to be times to remind us of... Um, of what's ahead, things that you know make us a little worried, things that we get apprehensive about, and we'll be right there with David. Please deliver me. Verse 16, he wraps up, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, 
but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. The number one thing that I think we can take away from 38, 39, and 40 is in this last verse because it shows where David has figured out who I am and who God is. Who I am. As for me, I am poor and needy. Who is God? You take thought for me? Think about that. You take thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. I've been on a Tim Keller kick lately, as many of you know. There's a series that Mary and I are going through um, where he looks at the big picture of the Bible. Uh, He looks at the first four chapters of Genesis, the first four chapters of Romans, and the last four chapters of Revelation, basically saying the Bible is not just a bunch of individual stories on how you ought to live, but it is one big story about God, who he is, what went wrong, what he's going to do about it, and how it all turns out. That's the big story of the Bible. And a lot of that is captured right here. We're poor and needy. God takes thought for us. Just love that. Those are the lessons that I and through David have learned about the benefits of being at the bottom. So let me pause there. Does anyone have a story that you learned when maybe you were at or near the bottom? Gwen? I'm not a big mouth. This is hard to do. Yes, you are. But we thank you. Sorry. All right, I say, hold on. Let's get let's get the microphone. No, no, no I think I'll This isn't just about you.
his heart stopped again and they had to crack open his chest and some of y'all have already heard this before but they had to literally open up his chest and do heart um, massage on him and he died but he told me one day right before that if there is a heaven and a God then I want to go to heaven I said Mike I'm just so proud of you and there was so much more I could have said to him but I didn't but I just thought Lord I'm so glad I preached to him all those years so it's never too late he died you know after just confessing that he did believe in the Lord so we really do think he's in heaven I could go on and on and on but that's enough for today <laughs> I'm getting ready to have some tests done and I appreciate your prayer Art knows everything about me there is to know and he told me he told me one time I said well, you know everything rare happens to me he said I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> you know, talk about a patient that can't run away. I can run away. <laughs> Anyone else? Please. God only made one of her. Anyone else? I think being at the bottom makes you know that you you have to just trust God and you you always have to every morning you have to renew that with him usually everybody can hear my loud mouth uh, every morning like Art said we have to renew that with God that um no matter how bad things get in our life no matter how low it is that he's always there no matter how we screw it up the day before He's there, you know, to help get us back up. And without that, what do we have? I mean, as Christians, if we don't have God and, and the grace that he gives us every day and the love, then, then it's for nothing. But he's, he is always there to, for us. We just have to reach out for him and then, and then know that he is in control. We're not. Thank you. Who else? Anyone else? Jerry probably thinks she's 
She won't shut up about her head hurting. <laughs> 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 so I just, the Lord is so faithful and so good and so patient with those of us who are so stubborn. And he loves me, and I know he does. My head was not hurting. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Anyone else? I'm reminded, Art, that uh, we're told to forsake not to gather together. Many, many years ago, God changed my life, and I guess we all have up and downs and stuff. But just this morning, I'm reminded that it's easy to get distracted and pay attention to the things that are visible that's right before us, the things of this world. And I come to Sunday school, and I'm reminded what I should be looking at rather than the things of the world. And that's why God wants us to gather together. Sunday school class and for our preaching and our, our fellowship. So we can be reminded. I thank you for that. It's a blessing to be here. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> One of the beauties about the cycle of the week and coming to uh, church, of course, is that uh, we are all on different cycles at different times. Uh, some Somebody's great day may be somebody else's low day, but we can we can be encouraged and reminded of those of those times and by hearing the stories um, about what God has done and who He is, and uh, as people have often pointed out, um, He is the same every day. He the I am that's unchangeable. He's always the I am, and will always be there. I want to call your attention to uh, a little hidden spot uh, in computer terms. Uh, you may have heard the term Easter eggs. Uh, these are little things that the programmers put in, you know, games or, you know, uh, other programs uh, just for their own enjoyment and for people that might look a little closer. And in chapter 40 or Psalm 40, we have one of those that uh, on this side of the cross we get to appreciate. It's in verse 6. It says, In sacrifice and offering you've not delighted, right? Uh, you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you've not required, and so forth. If you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews recalls a time when Christ used these very words about himself to make the point that when you're talking about sacrifices, um, the Old Testament sacrifices um, were never designed to do the real job. In verse 4 of chapter 10, it says, It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, quoting Psalm 40, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, 
And he changes or enlarges on this idea of you've dug out an ear for me by saying, a body you have prepared for me. Christ at one time didn't have a body, but then God gave him a body. Verse 6, in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Verse 8, when he said, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, those according to the law. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. David could rightly say, you've taken thought of me. That in itself is amazing. But that very God, incarnate Jesus, the better David, comes hundreds of years later and says, I'm here as a better sacrifice to do what needs to be done to offer once for all. So if we ever doubt whether God has thought of us or is thinking of us, we can reflect back not just on Psalm 40, but on Hebrews 10 to know that the very Jesus who wrestled with obedience in the Garden of Gethsemane went through with God's plan and did take care of that sacrifice once for all. And we can always praise him for that. All right, we'll close. Father, we thank you that you think of us. We thank you that you are the great I am, unchangeable, just as you were there for David over and over and over again, that you will continue to be there for us over and over again. We thank you for Jesus who made the perfect sacrifice, the once for all sacrifice, who brought us all in to your kingdom, into your family. In his name I pray, amen. Thanks, everybody.